0: What's up, everybody? This is The Mindful Wizard. I have the honor of being here with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Amazed. Uh, I'm still in shock, and I hope you guys really benefit from this conversation. So first and foremost, Don Miguel Ruiz, thank you so much, my brother. My pleasure, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on your program. It's it's a true honor. I hope everyone is doing all well and having fun. And I know my listeners are really excited to hear what you got to say. So let's just jump in it. For those of you that don't know, I've been reading Don Miguel Ruiz's family's books for a very long time. I started with his father, and then I got to the mastery of self, and I learned a lot about knowledge, about how to free your mind and how to live a better life. So this is an honor, and I'll say it again openly and publicly. I know people listen to what I've said, but it's amazing when you believe the things that can happen. So now segueing back to Mr. You know, Mr. Ruiz, I know that his family is Toltecs. They come from the Eagle tribe. And the Toltecs, from my understanding, are ancient masters of knowledge and medicine. So to be able to speak to someone from that lineage is a pleasure. So my first question to you, sir, the dream of the planet, what is it?
1: In order for me to answer that, I have to describe what the individual dream is. In our tradition, the main function of the mind is to dream, which is to perceive and to project. I perceive 360 degrees around me, I perceive with my eyes, with my ears, with every single nerve ending that surrounds my body that allows me to be aware of my environment, to feel my environment, to be present in my environment. I am a single point of perception. I am perceiving. And at the same time, I am projecting. Right now, I'm filling my diaphragm with air, flowing it, letting it all out little by little through the trachea, through the vocal cords of my throat, to the muscles in my mouth to make sounds in English. If I start speaking in Espanol, muy pocos me So, if I start speaking Spanish, very few would understand me, so I'll use a common language in this situation, which is English. You're hearing me project what I am perceiving inside my own mind. Now, mind you, as I am now pr- projecting and you're hearing my voice, I'm also projecting with every thought I create. Every thought, every idea, every internal dialogue I can say. I am perceiving and I'm projecting. My father during my apprenticeship with him was to say it like this Miguel, if you're the voice inside your own mind who's listening, who's talking? I said, I am. Oh, you're the one listening. You're the sorry. But if I'm the one that's talking inside my own mind, who's listening? I am. If I'm the one who's listening, who's talking? I am. And that's the individual dream, the relationship between me and me. My perception of my own projections and realizing that I'm the projector that I'm perceiving. That's the relationship between me and me. And I only control that to the tips of my fingers. I only control myself, my own individual dream, to this very tip of my pinky finger, you can say, or my index finger. I don't control beyond it. I don't control your will. I don't control your perception. I only control my own. And that is the individual relationship. We can say the relationship between mind and heart, if if you want to use that symbology, or you can use it, uh, as the left hemisphere talking to the right hemisphere whichever one you prefer but it's the internal dialogue within me when i am projecting when i'm thinking i am perceiving i'm the one perceiving i'm the one listening and at the same time i'm the one talking that's the individual dream now you and i stephen We've come together at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at Pacific to get together to have this conversation at this very moment. You said yes and I said yes. And right at this very moment we're interacting with one another. You are interacting within yourself. You are, have a perception and projection. You are thinking your mind is dreaming and so am I. You control to the tips of your fingers, I control to the tips of mine. I don't control your will and I don't control your perception. You do. And you in return don't control my will and you don't control my perception. I do. You can say that we only control to the tips of our fingers. So imagine putting our index fingers right there to merge. We create a relationship between you and I. Have friendship, a community that only exists for as long as we both say yes. As soon as one of us changes that yes into a no, it ceases to exist, which means all relationships exist for as long as we both say yes. And to respect you is to respect your no. Your no is just as powerful as your yes. That's me respecting your free will. Your no is just as powerful as your yes, and I can't give what I do not have, which means it starts by me Respecting my own no, which is just as powerful as my own yes, I can not give what I do not have. The only thing that will exist in our friendship, in this co-creation of ours, are the things we both say yes to. If you say no to something, or I say no to something, that I won't be done. And while our minds meet, we are creating the dream of us. Because just like you are having that in dialogue: If you're the voice that's talking inside your own mind when you're thinking, and you're the one that's listening when you're thinking, we, you and I, take turns. One of us talks while the other one listens, and the other one starts to talk when the other one listens, and go back and forth, and we have communication there. The meeting of the minds, and the main job of your mind is to dream, and the main function of my mind is to dream. We create the dream of us. You and I are the smallest portion of the dream of the planet. Because that same interaction you and I just have, or having as we speak, goes up to 7.5 billion human beings living life at this very moment. We'll leave the plants and the animals out of, us, out of this because they know what to do. But with us, humans, we create what we know as society, a community, culture, country, um, ethnicities and all that kind of thing, all all the things that brings us together and tears us apart. We create that. So, the dream of the planet is 7.5 billion human beings coming together to create one whole big dream, and it's constantly morphing, constantly changing, just like our own individual dream. In my own personal life, my dream, the story that I tell myself. It's constantly changing, constantly evolving. Come next week, I'll be the father of a high school. Boy. Well, a few months, every night I'm there I'm still kind of middle school. It was just, just yesterday that I was the father of two elementary school kids in kindergarten and of parents who are newborns. And now I'm in the stage and what's ahead of us. I've been together with my wife for 16 years and every year that passes, every moment, our relationship changes. I'm not the same person I was when I was in college, in high school, or even with my ex, whatever ex-girlfriend I was, I was once in a relationship with. I am not that same person. I'm not even the same person that started dating my wife or married my wife or, or the man who only had my wife, just she and I, or only had one kid or only had two kids. Now we have two kids, now we have two dogs, and we're living through all this stuff. I'm constantly changing, and the world is changing with me. And we're looking at it. All you have to do is just turn on, not just the news, but the social media, the movies and anything that allows us to see the dream of the planet in real time. And all the wonderful things that are happening and all the horrible things that are happening, all simultaneously. We're watching the yin and yang life. So the dream of the planet as a whole is everything we co-create. All the agreements, all the ideas, all the concept, the language we use, the laws by we're, by we're governed, with, or the laws we create to protect each other with. For example, uh, I was watching I was in my I was watching a TV show that I used that last in my class, and I said the scariest thing of a TV show called The Walking Dead is not the zombies. The zombies are not scary. What's scary is that these people live world where a piece of glass won't protect you because right now we live in a place where a glass window a glass door will keep you safe it's a taboo that'll keep us safe and in that TV show in that world they live in a place where such a glass does not keep you safe at all the zombies will not stop they will break that piece of glass and They don't care about it. So they're running around trying to find another group of people. And the very first thing they do is create a fence and create a small community to try to bring back the agreements and the taboos that keep us safe. But a piece of glass that surrounds our house, it's just a word that keeps it safe. A taboo, a very strong taboo. If you live in a neighborhood where you have to put bars on your on your windows, the agreement is not so strong, so the property value may not be so good. And if you live in a place that's really strong, the agreement is so strong. But here's the thing, even when robbers come in, they prefer to break down a door than they prefer to break a, a, a window. I don't know why that is, but it's a taboo. Now, mind you, when I say this, sometimes people get afraid, feel afraid that it is only a taboo that keeps you safe that it's just an agreement but i also want to emphasize the other side of that is that look at how powerful our agreements are that a piece of glass can keep us safe it's an agreement an agreement that we've turned into a taboo thou shalt not break glass it is your home and if you look at it from that point of view this glass is just a wall that allows us to see the outside. The taboo that keeps us and makes us feel we're safe. It's very powerful. Be impeccable with the word. So I'm just using an, an example of what happens in the dream world planet. That we can create all these beautiful agreements that keep us safe. At the same time, we can break them at any given moment, as we've seen. On the news feeds and then recreate it all over again. And that's beautiful. It keeps going around, it changes. But what matters most is in the individual dream because what I have within me, that if there's this harmony within the relationship between me and me, you can say it with my mind and my heart, then all my relationship will have that harmony But if I do begin to do the work and I begin to process, and I begin to bring harmony within that relationship within me, then I become the constant opportunity for harmony in all my relationships, because I am the constant in all my relationships. And every person in my life brings out a totally different side of me. But every single one of those relationships are the way that I contribute to the dream of the dream of the planet is our creation, and we created the co
0: creation of agreements. Wow. Thank you for that answer. That was really powerful. For those of you that are new to this concept, the agreement is just basically anything that we literally agree as truth. And if you want to create, for example, if the belief is that you're not good enough, then that's what's going to be out there. So the dream of the planet is both collective and individual. So that actually segues into the quote that I borrowed from your book, The Mastery of Self. So I'm going to read this quote to you and I'm interested in how you perceive it. The quote is, without awareness, our domestication and attachments blur our perception. Recognizing both Allows us to clear the fog and see the truth of the present moment. Yep. It's powerful. Can you tell us Thanks. what domestication means? Sure.
1: Well, I'll start with that. With it, put it, I'm going to take one step back. So, in that quote, all right, to clear the fog. In everything we were just talking about, here's the difference between the truth and a belief. Neil deGrasse Tyson says, and uh, he has one of my favorite quotes the truth exists whether you believe in it or not. That's it. The truth doesn't need us for it for us to exist. A black hole was going to exist whether or not it became a hypothesis by. Uh, She'll always forget his name. Hawkins? Okay. Um, Hawkins, yeah, thank you. Hawkins. And then last year uh, it got proven to be true because they were able to actually take a picture of it. Now it's there, we know it's, it's facts, it's truth. But the truth exists whether you believe in it or not, meaning that that black hole is going to exist whether we believe in it or not. That's the truth. It doesn't need humanity for it to exist. The belief, on, on the contrast, a belief only exists while we believe it. As soon as we change that yes into a no, a belief will cease to exist, which means a belief only exists for as long as we say yes to it, which means a belief needs humanity for it to exist. And sometimes we can't tell the difference, but here's the, the, the thing one is our creation. The other one is not. Wow. So, being able to tell the difference is what allows us to dissipate that fog and allows us to see the difference between that which we created. For example, the Greek God says, We will exist for as long as man believes in us. Alright? With that concept, our definition of God God exists with whether we believe in him or not, or believe in her or not. But our definition of what God is depends on our agreement, and that's the difference. Our definition of God is a belief that we create and only has power for as long as we say yes to it. God exists whether we believe in it or not, just like the black hole, or whatever name we want to give it or existence. so there's a difference between the Greek gods and the truth we can say, which has no name. So from that point of view, what makes us attached to that domestication to that condition is exactly domestication. Domestication is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual where if we live up to the expectation, we are worthy of a reward and we fall short of that expectation. We're worthy of a punishment. Since we are emotional beings who experience the full spectrum of our emotions, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment, when we don't live up to that expectation, feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love. Is the way we've learned conditional love. I love you if you live up to my expectation. I love you if you live up to the projection of the image I have of you, and we're so good at it that we internalize and we create it for ourselves. For example, hello, my name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I don't take things personal, I don't make assumptions, I always do my best. Ah, oh no, I forgot the fourth agreement, oh no! How can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. if I don't know the fourth agreement? And there goes the diatribe of judgment, punishing myself. We're not living up that image of perfection that is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And mind you, to be perfect is to be completely free of any flaw. So if I live if I live up to all the expectation that expectation, then I'm worthy of the name Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., someone who doesn't take things personal, someone who doesn't make assumptions, someone who is impeccable with his own words, sometimes that always does his best. If I live up to those images, I'm worthy of love. But if I forget one of them, like the Fifth Agreement, don't oh, no, be skeptical, but listen. And there goes the diatribe all over again, punishing myself for not living up that image of perfection. It's the equivalent of me saying, the perfect version of me is to be 27 years old, weigh 170 pounds, and have full set of hair like my brother Jose. saying. But I look at myself in the mirror, that's just not the truth. I weigh 189 pounds, I'm 44 years old, and... If you ever see me, I, 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 I'm I, definitely balding. <laughs> but I look at myself in the mirror and because I don't live up to that image, I'm gonna castigate myself, I'm gonna judge myself. You fat deep, you old fat deep, you bold old fat bleep, judging myself. If you have ever stand in front of a mirror judging ourselves for not living up to a standard and we feel that sting of that judgment that is what domestication is. And the example I gave about the four agreements, the telltale sign that we use the four agreements as an instrument of domestication is judging ourselves for taking things personal, judging ourselves for making assumptions, judging ourselves for the rest of it. That's the telltale sign that we've used the four agreements as an instrument of domestication, thus corrupting the four agreements and turning them into the four conditions of our personal freedom. It's the way we corrupt the cultic tradition. It's the way we corrupt Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Jesus, Buddha, Siddhartha, Mohammed, psychiatry, psychology, alcoholics and animals, yoga, any of those beautiful things, those beautiful instruments that allows us to let go of conditional love and embrace unconditional love. But we're so attached to our domestication that we will corrupt all And that's what we're witnessing in the world. I love you if And it's a way that we begin to attach ourselves to ideas. How can you dare question a belief? It's the truth. Heresy, if you ever question it. So at this moment, I can say that I've described what the four conditions are. And some people think that they're practicing the four agreements, but they're really just practicing the four conditions. For example, imagine my wife standing next to me. She grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, so, honey, here's the four agreements, read it. Honey, you didn't read the book, you're making an assumption, oh honey, how embarrassing. Like, it's, it's obvious you didn't read the book, you're taking things personal. I only hang out with people who are impeccable with their own word. <laughs> At that moment, I'm castigating my wife, and judging her, and I'm forcing her to make the agreement through the judgment. Whenever we judge someone, we're punishing them for agreements they never made. But we're forcing them to make the agreement through the judgment. And that's the corruption. Now we're domesticating everyone. You have to be a certain level of spirituality. If you don't live up to the image of spirituality that I have, then I'm going to judge you. And we see that further and further. I practice Hatha Yoga. Well, I practice Kundalini. Well, I practice the one that's trademarked. At that moment, domestic. It corrupts all those beautiful traditions and to the point where I need to be right and you need to be wrong. Because if I'm right, I'm worthy of the reward. And if I am wrong, I'm worthy of the punishment. And that's how we begin to corrupt. And in the dream of the planet, that's how we begin this somewhat health or this harmony that I was talking about where we begin to try to impose upon each other conditions that we never made an agreement to, but we're forcing them through the judgment, and that's what domestication is. I only love myself if I live up to an expectation, an idea, a concept. And it gets blurred when we get so attached to our beliefs that we believe that they're the truth, but they're not the truth. And how do I know they're not the
0: truth? They need me in order for it to exist. That is so powerful. So I, w- I want to jump in. I'm amazed. It's it's a beautiful answer. Thank you for that. I love how it's okay. going to segue into the next question too. It's almost as if you read my mind or I read yours <laughs> two weeks ahead, right? I, I'm in your mind hopefully. So what I'm thinking here is is definitely the idea of domestication is what we do to ourselves myself included i needed something to be perfect for today until i realized that nothing is perfect why the ideas in my. i'm sorry you first the funny thing is that
1: nothing is perfect and at the same time it is perfect because the word perfection means something that's completely free of any flaw that's the definition of what perfection is well Surprise, surprise, we we define what a flaw is. A flaw only exists in our mind. It doesn't exist out there in the world and in the universe. It's perfect. And the reason why it's perfect is because it exists. But a flaw only exists in our mind and it's shared. And we use it as the model by which we domesticate ourselves.
0: So powerful. So our own domestication, if you think about it through the Toltec Perspective, is we're trapping ourselves in our own minds based on our own standard of what perfection is. So we've literally segued perfectly into the next question. So I wanted you to expand, if you could, on the ally versus the parasite. Because that right there, when I read that in in your book, The Mastery of Self, it freed me. It, It gave me this feeling of, I'm my own CEO. There is no other standard compared to myself. Yeah. And at first, it sounds yeah. arrogant, but it's not. It's you have to love yourself. So, yeah. so yes. Please tell us about the high versus the Parasite. Sure. Well, in re- in the
1: terms that we talked about, it's, uh, it's we're talking about personal freedom. To me, personal freedom is to be able to say yes and no with freedom of life. To say yes to the things I want to say yes to, and no to the things I want to say no to. Knowing full well that life has all the right to say no to me, just like you have all the right to say no to me, just like my wife has all the right to say no to me, my kids, and everyone, including myself. With that point of view, personal freedom come is having this respect for myself to make choices, and to respect myself to experience the consequences of my own choices. I am an... Toltec. The word Toltec means artist in English. If I translate the phrase the Toltec art of transformation into 100% English, it means the artist path of transformation. I am an artist. The canvas for my work of art is my life. And the instrument that I'm going to use to create that work of art is going to be my will. My mind, my body, my intent. My yes and my no. I can create the most perfect nightmare or I can create the most harmonious truth. The question is, am I the one creating it or is my attached beliefs creating my domestication? Like my grandma would say, is knowledge using you or are you using knowledge? When I was young, I had no idea what that meant, but as the time progressed, I was able to answer that with the levels of attachment that I have. And at one point, my mind Gets so attached that it forgets that it's my creation and it begins to control. Knowledge gives me the rules by which I love myself. Knowledge gives me the rule all the rules of how I'm supposed to love anyone else and create whom to accept, not to accept. The ally and the parasite. The parasite is my active domesticator. My ally is the mind that allows me to see life as is. So what do I mean by that? Okay, we talk about domestication. When I was a child, they used to be domesticated. If I ate my soup, I'm a good boy. If I don't eat my soup, I'm a sinner or whatever, selfish child. Since I didn't want to get the punishment, I was I would relent and say, Yes, Grandma, I'll eat the soup. At that moment, ever so innocently, I subjugated my will and changed unknown to yes, only because I didn't want to get the consequence, which is the punishment. And little by little, it just became that simple. I don't want to be rejected, I want to be loved, and little by little, I was domesticated by people's ideas and beliefs, that little by little, I subjugated my own will, my own yes and my own no. The image I used to have is this, imagine that I go to a Mexican restaurant. And they gave me a plate this day of food. At least they call it Mexican. Food. Halfway through, my body tells me the truth. I am full. But then I hear a conscious or subconscious voice. It's a sin to waste. Conscious or subconscious, I say, Yes, Grandma. And I continue to eat. And I finish the plate. And I'm so full, you're not to have to roll me out. But in that moment of clarity where my body was telling me, that I'm full, that I'm satisfied, that there's no more physical space in my body for this food. I believe that I was conscious or subconscious overruled my no and I turned it into a yes and I went against myself because now I'm paying the consequences. And I mean subconscious only because I've done it so many times. It's an automatic yes, an automatic no. I go against myself without thinking because I've done it so many times I've become a master of my own domestication. Because here's the thing, my grandmother's nowhere near. My grandmother told me that when I was eight years old, that it's a sin to waste food. In my thirties or my forties I hear that. My grandmother's nowhere near, but I still hear her voice. My grandmother only said that to me once. Doing all the work that I've done and being skeptical but learned to listen, giving scrutiny, I become aware that it's not, it's not a sin to waste the food, so I won't use that against me ever again, but it's a waste of food, so I'll, I'll get to gold boxes, but I won't be using that as an excuse to hurt myself, but in that self-analysis and processing, I became aware of that one big truth. My grandmother only said that to me once in my life. I've been saying it to myself over and over again. In her own words, in her own voice, against myself. My, we humans are the only beings, as far as we know, that are able to self-domesticate. A dog, when, a cat, when you stop domesticating, they'll go back to being what they were always were: a dog or a cat. But we humans, when our active domesticators stop domesticating us, we continue to domesticate ourselves. How? Well, if I'm the voice that's talking inside my own mind, who's listening? I am. If I'm the one who's listening, who's talking, I am. In that internal dialogue, in that internal narration, the mind becomes my active domesticator, continuing to believe all the conditions that were projected onto me in my life and i continue to say yes to it that is the parasite the active domesticator in my life so you can say that a moment of clarity without any action is just a thought that passes and win but a moment of clarity followed by action becomes a very pivotal moment in our life it is a moment where i become aware of my own domestication and we have a choice to continue or to go in a different direction. If we continue, then the moment of clarity was just a thought that passed in the wind. But in that moment, just like a drug addict or alcoholic that wakes up and sees what they've done, and they've chosen not to take the hair of the dog, which is the bottle of beer or something that'll take away the hangover, even though it makes it worse. You decide to go in a different direction and. Begin the process of detoxing and to do the work. And little by little, you clean your body. Little by little, you change your habits. Little by little, you let go of that attachment or condition. Or, and the mind becomes the ally. And To me, it's the redemption of the mind the Redemption of the angel that at one point was a demon and now it's a full fledged angel, but it had to go through all this process in order to recreate itself, shed its old skin, and recreate the whole story. But it all mattered, all that matters is that moment of clarity do I want to continue in my disillusionment or my illusion, or want to? Clear to the that doesn't let me see me on the tips of my nose. So it's a moment where I assume responsibility for my own will, it's no longer anyone else's fault, it's no longer my grandmother's fault, I'm the one who said yes to it for all those years. I forgive myself. The best way to let go of conditional love is to forgive ourselves for ever saying yes to it in the first place.
0: Wow, thank you again. I hope you guys are writing these ideas, these gems down. They are powerful, freeing information. The reason I love all the books, but specifically The Mastery of Self, because it was like a okay, you can put your guard down. You don't have to be mad at yourself anymore. This was something that you were conditioned to believe for 20 years. You are no longer this person. And before Mindful Wizard became the company, I had to let go of what I believed of my own domestication. That was powerful. Because it was funny, my next question was going to be how to be an artist, a creator and not a victim. But I kind of think you covered that. Unless you want to expand a little more. It's up to you. I'll
1: expand because it's true. Because the mind of the victim and the warrior the victim is a subjugated will me, or basically the one that continues to believe that they're not worthy of love. The one that gives away their power. My favorite quote comes from Eleanor Roosevelt that says, no one can make me feel inferior without my consent. Mm -hmm. Which to me is that image of Siddhartha. After Siddhartha resists the temptation of Mara's three daughters, Mara is so mad that he decides to send his army to destroy Siddhartha. They shoot their arrows at him, and Siddhartha sees those arrows and decides to turn them into roses. He doesn't give him permission to hurt him. Another way of saying not taking things personal. To me, not taking things personal means to not assume responsibility for someone else's will but your own. With rate, power comes great responsibility, Uncle Ben told Peter Parker. Now that I'm aware that the same energy I use to move my legs, to move my arms, is the same energy I use to create a thought, and at the root of every belief I have in my mind is that yes, that gives it power. My love exists because I'm here to manifest it, just like my body, just like my mind. I am not this body, I am not this mind. I'm the force that animates it. Then both. So, my love exists because I exist. Without me, my love does not exist. It's my creation. It's my art. The things I say yes to, the reason why my words have power is because I give them power with my intent. So, let me change that agreement. Being beckled with the word can be seen as being beckled with your intent. Because it's the intent that gives power to our word. And when I explain this to my father, he says, I love it, that's exactly what I meant, but since you already changed it, let me change it one more time. Be impeccable with yourself. Because it is you who gives power to your words. And that's where the art comes in. What are we manifesting, what we are creating? It's nobody else's fault, it's not society's fault, it's not the system's fault. No one's responsible but me, but me. Unless I give away that permission and give make them believe make myself believe that I am inferior to them because of their judgments because I believe it and that's where the victim comes in. But the moment I become aware that I'm responsible, it's not for me a culpa mea culpa for me mea culpa no it's different. I assume responsibility for my own will because it's my will to live. It is my interaction with the world. How do I want to engage it? How do I want to manifest Manifest. At this very moment, I am the youngest I will ever be, just like I am the sum of every decision that I've ever made. This is me. What do I want to create? And I can create the most harmonious dream just as much as I can create the most perfect nightmare. And I can go back and forth and I'm always changing so that's where the artist comes in. My work of art is my life. And I'm not going to allow a belief system to dictate it for me, to give away my power to someone else. I'm going to own it. And that also means that I'm responsible for the consequences of my own actions. I respect myself to experience my own consequences, and that's where life teaches us all its wonderful lessons the moment we respect ourselves to experience the consequences of our own choices, otherwise known as our own work of art.
0: Wow. So I'm going to jump in to testify to that. This is living proof of using intent to create an opportunity. My intention was eventually to speak to you. It happened faster than I planned, because the universe loves us, maybe. <laughs> yes. And I'm I'm just really happy that it worked out. Okay, so then you covered a lot. I'm really grateful for that. I wanted to know if I may ask you one more question. Sure. Perfect. So I know that you've co-authored the excuse me, co-authored a book, The Seven Secrets to Happy and Healthy Relationships. Yes. I wanted to know kind of the transition from individual mastery, how does that play out in relationships?
1: Beautiful. That's a great question.
0: Thank you. Well,
1: I can't give what I do not have. I'm the constant in every relationship that I am in. For me, that transition is that... Okay, let me put it this way. Uh, I, just, I was about to answer something, but I'm gonna answer it a different way. Last year, uh, September of last year, my daughter comes up to me and she says, "I have something to say to you, Papa." And I said, "Sure. What is it?" Papa, I have a boyfriend. Mind you, she's just turned 12, like a week or two. And I asked her, the first question was, what does it mean to have a boyfriend? And she said that we like each other. And I said, perfect, no more. That's it. (laughs) At that moment, I was tempted. I was so tempted to share with her, you know, everything. But I simply said, isn't that boy that I saw in your Spanish class, so-and-so, the one with the raggedy hair and the instrument over his shoulder and just looks like someone straight out of the 90s. She said, yeah. I'm like, I knew it. The first time I saw him, I knew that was going to be your first boyfriend. I was proud of myself for, for picking it out. I told her, honey, enjoy it. Have fun. And I bit my lip. I seriously bit my lip to say more. But I realized several things as she was walking off. me. It's, it's so easy to forget what it felt like to have a crush at that age when you're young. You totally forget how what a rush it is, what a wonderful experience. To have that crush have a crush on your back, now that's a different experience too. Sometimes we forget. And I realized that I've been talking for all these years to people who've forgotten. So in the next class that I did, the very first time I I, I gave this little speech I'm giving you right now, this lesson, I asked everyone to try to remember the first time you had a crush. I'd ask them to close their eyes and remember that feeling that crush, having a crush in your back. Remember how that felt? And I asked them, do you have it? And a lot of people nodded. They had their eyes closed, so I got to see it. almost all of them nod. And I said to them, stay there, stay there. Keep. Stay there as long as you can. Stay there, stay there. Who ha- Who stayed there? Two or three people raised their hand. How many of you... Started thinking about your disappointments, your heartbreaks, the times that didn't go so good, all those other things that you want to raise your hands. And everyone raised their hand, including the two people who said they stayed. And I realized most of the time we're talking to me, I'm talking to people who have, they forgotten what it felt like actually have that kind of relationship again. We're so attached and I saw so, so much in our experience of heartbreak that we forget that it's a wonderful thing. So I asked them this to say here's the thing. At that very moment I could have contaminated my daughter's experience of a relationship. I don't So a lot of the people in attendance, they went back to those heartbreaks, those disappointments, and that's what they went to. They weren't able to hold on or stay in that memory. And that rem- reminded me that the majority of the people who I talked to already have an idea of what love is or so what should be, but in front of me, my daughter, I'm talking to someone where love is brand new. It's completely a new experience for her. So unlike all the other people where I share my ideas and beliefs, I really didn't want to contaminate her experience of love. I just simply said, honey, enjoy it. Have fun with it. Mind you, my daughter and him, the boy, is are about to celebrate one year together next month. Actually, no, not this, this month, we're in August. They're about to celebrate their one year anniversary. She's already broken my record because I, I, I didn't go get beyond dating someone for more beyond three months until my senior year of high school, my first love. So, and I was 17, 18 years old back then. She's already done doing it at 12. It's her own experience. For all of us in relationships, sometimes we forget, and our journey with relationships is about healing all wounds. And sometimes that's the thing we project. That's what I was so tempted to project onto my daughter. Be careful of this, be careful of that. Don't do this. On... I just realized it's, it's her life. It's her experience. So in our relationship with ourselves, and it's, we can't get what we do not have. In order to bring harmony into our romantic relationships, we bring harmony into our own. And the seven secrets of happy, healthy relationships, which is being able to look into yourself, heal the wounds, That past experience gave us, gave ourselves that secret of commitment that takes us to our personal freedom, takes us with awareness. Then we use it to heal, to release our joy, and to open up the channels of communication and be able to release whatever projected image we have and see the person in front of us. It's not about understanding men and women. There's 7.5 billion of us, either or. It's about understanding the person that's in front of you. When I began to work on this book with my dear friend Heather Ashamara, I just finished a journey of healing with my first love, the girl in question that I mentioned before. We were able to forgive each other, and I owned my my half, and I learned the difference between guilt and remorse. Guilt is punishing yourself for something you wanted to do, and every time you think about it, you punish yourself over and over and over again. But if life were to give you the opportunity to do it again, you will do it because that's what you wanted to do. That's what guilt is, punishing ourselves over and over again for the thing we wanted to do. Remorse, on the other hand, is when you see the ripple effects of your own actions and see how you've impacted your, not only your own life, but that other person's life and see the pain that you caused and It's the moment you actually start listening and see it from their point of view. Of course she did what she did. Of course I did this. Look at this. What I did is the moment that I owned my choices. And I was apologizing—not an apology of an ex-boyfriend who's trying to hook up again—is the apology of someone who sees the consequences of my own choices. And I for, and I and I apologize, not looking for forgiveness. I just simply see their humanity, which is the important part. Now, the the key part is this: if life were to chance, if life were to give you the chance to do it again, you wouldn't. Because you know, you know, the pain that would have caused and it's not worth the effort. When it comes to relationships, we're creating a whole new culture. Sometimes we bring into them our experiences of the past and we make someone, we punish someone for for the actions of someone else. Sometimes we bring into a relationship our old baggage and it contaminates and infects the new relationship. And then the cycle repeats itself. And the reason why it repeats itself is because that wasn't healed. Then it came in and it impacted this relationship. Well, if you do the work and you begin to let go, to forgive, because to forgive is the way we detach ourselves from that old version of ourselves from those old wounds and we give ourselves that permission to heal when my ex-girlfriend and i forgave each other and even admitted to each other how much we loved each other back then the persons who benefited was not just she and i but my wife and her husband because now that old wound is no longer there to infect the present And that allows us to experience a new relationship for what it is, new. A whole new culture you get to explore. You let go and detach from an image of who you think you see and see the person that's in front of you. It's not about understanding men and women, like I said before. It's about understanding the person in front of you. Just in the same way you understand the person that you are. And you realize that relationships, like my daughter said, it's because we like each other. And we like spending time together. And that's really what it's all about.
0: I love that. I love it for millions of reasons. Number one, you weren't able to, you were aware enough to step back and say, I don't want to ruin someone's future. I don't want to contaminate their thinking. You don't want to label it. Because we both agree that love is boundless. And I think that's where you were coming from, from love, which is beautiful. I also think that by loving that way, you're teaching. And as a result, we all learn together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to thank you for your time, your commitment to being on the Mindful Wizard podcast. I am humbled and amazed. I'm still amazed that we're still speaking. So I just (laughs) wanted to thank you. Um to the listeners, we love you, we appreciate you. And to my brother Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., would you like to say, is there anything else you would like to say?
1: I was gonna say thank you so much, Stephen, for the opportunity to be in the program with you. Wanna say thank you so much for your listeners for the opportunity to share my family tradition with you. And I hope you've enjoyed it and have fun and enjoy being here.
0: Amen. We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to drop an episode every Sunday at 4 p.m. Thank you guys. And listen to this one again because there's a lot of gems for you. God bless. Goodbye.